Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. This is Heather. Our goal with Diversity on Fire is to inspire you to think and act differently. We will do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. Today's guest has been referred to as a genuine expert and a connection percolator. He obtained his degree in English and literature from Rutgers University and has since built up an incredibly impressive resume, which includes elementary school teacher, executive protection manager, VP of safety operations, executive coach, and currently the founder, owner, and executive coach at Merging Path Coaching. In addition to his professional career, our guest enjoys motorcycle drives through the beautiful rolling landscapes of Northern California, relaxing nights on his personal oasis, aka his beautiful home patio, as well as many other creative ventures. Without further ado, Diversity on Fire is incredibly excited to welcome Mr. Brooks Scott. Awesome. Awesome. What's up, Heather? Thanks for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. So excited to have you. Um, You are doing some super important work, which we want to definitely dig into and hear more from you about. Um, To start us off, though, obviously, I just said a little bit about you, but would you give us a little bit more of your backstory, kind of what brought you to where you are today, not only as an individual, but just also what kind of inspired your passion for leadership and being a change maker? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's that's awesome. So yeah, thanks again for having me. I'm really excited to get to talk to you. So um, yeah, I don't know where to start. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of different uh, a lot of different paths uh, in in life. Um, before I was a coach, uh, you know, I worked I worked in tech for a while. I was I was over at Facebook, um, and I, I ran the team of bodyguards for Mark Zuckerberg and Charles Sandberg as a manager of operations. So really got to see firsthand behind the scenes how teams are being built, how companies are growing. And that really kind of sparked my interest in, in learning how to uh, just how it works on the business side. So uh, before that, I was, I was a New Jersey state trooper before that. So I did that for about 10 years. And, and then, like you said, a fifth grade teacher before that. So really leaning into uh, connection and talking and listening to people from, from kids to adults to powerful leaders in business uh, all those things are kind of wrapped up in, into what got me uh, got me sparked into this. So I remember I was I was on a trip uh, overseas uh, for work with with Facebook, and uh, I was there for for the for the WhatsApp deal when, when Facebook bought WhatsApp. And I remember I got the executives through the crowd into the room, and then the door closed. And now I'm I'm waiting in the hallway, and I'm like, I want to be I want to be inside. I want to I want to hear what's going on. I want to influence. I want to I want to talk. Um, and that was the moment where I was like, all right, I got, I got something else, uh, in me that I want to do. Um, and I didn't know what it was. And, uh, someone put me on the coaching and I took some courses and fell in love with it. And, and, uh, and I left, uh, left the world of, of, of management and, and, uh, and operations. And I do this full time now. That's awesome. So I, one, one thing I noticed, cause I did notice the New Jersey state trooper and I was like, wait, fifth grade teacher to yeah. New Jersey state trooper. That's, that's a bit of a shift. And 10 years is a long time. So I'm sure you have a lot of stories and history behind that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And then every, every kind of shift I made in life, uh, you know, people, people, oh, I I can't, I can't believe you gave this up. You you love that. Or the the safety and security of, 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 of the the working for the public sector and you're going into tech. And I think for each step of the way, I just, uh, I just I just follow where where my heart takes me and just trust that that life life puts you where you're supposed to be. So I just don't like living in in fear or safety or comfort. So I just I just move on. I move to where I'm led to. I feel like I like comfort. Uh, I've learned how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes, there it is. There- At first, when you when it first hits you in the face, you're just like, well, this is me anyways. When it first hits you in the face, you're like, OK, so where can I hide? You know what I mean? You want to just kind of curl up and get yourself back to somewhere. But I was put in situations where it's like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So you better get used to it. Well, and that's all connected to the way that we talk and communicate with each other, especially now with everything going on with 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 race and allyship and, and gender and, and, and all these protected classes right now. Having those uncomfortable conversations 
is where change comes from. So uh, I'm also a, a certified crucial conversations instructor. So that's my favorite thing to do is get people to learn how to say all the things that they need to say, but they're scared to, to talk about. That's where connection and growth and learning comes from. And that's what I'm on, on a mission to do. Yes. Love that. That definitely ties into a kind of what our inspiration here with this this show is, is just to have open conversations mm-hmm. about things that people are generally not wanting to have and maybe hopefully inspire other people to have those too. So you have a couple quotes that I found that I find fascinating. I'm hoping you can kind of unpack them a little bit for me. So I found them a little plug for you here on mergingpath.com, which is your website. Um, The first one is you don't always have to know where you're going to know which direction to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you help me with this one? Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel like uh, we, we sometimes all, we want to, we want to have the plan and everything set out and written out about what we want to do. And that doesn't always come. And usually even when it does, the plan gets jacked up because life gets in the way. So even if you don't know what it is that you are supposed to do next, we oftentimes, we know what feels right. And we oftentimes don't listen to those to those feelings. So it's like, I don't know what's on the other end of this hill, but I know this is the, the, the direction and there's a hill in the way. So I'm going to keep pushing. So um, this is this is about learning how to to follow your heart, learning how to follow your intuition, learning how to follow what you know is right, and letting fear and doubt and all of that kind of move to the side. All right, that makes perfect sense now. I think my brain was trying to take it in a different direction, yeah. but yes, I was literally just having this conversation earlier with someone. I I don't know if you can see this, but I have my board in back. Oh, December twenty sixth to January first. Mm-hmm. Well. That week went to went to hell in a handbag. My grandpa ended up dying. And like, so that week is still on the board. So, but that's what I was saying is literally whenever I have a super specific plan in mind, mm-hmm. the universe decides that's not how it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's like part of the plan. I think, I think part of the plan is to accept that your, your, your perfect little plan you created for yourself or myself, it ain't, it ain't going to go that way. So rather than kind of sit and, and freeze in, in worry and anxiety, I'm just let's 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 move. Let's let's adjust. That's what we're we're here to we're here for movement. It's about forward action. Love it. Love it. Love it. That is and I love the whole idea of the intuition because you're so right. We don't pay attention to that nearly enough. Yes. Um and it, people will get all foo-foo about it. It's really just it. It's really just your own internal self that we just have to get back to listening to. So yeah. your other little quote here is, stop being an ally and learn how to ally. Uh, yeah, that's one of that's, yeah, I, I, I'm doing, so I have a whole course on that um, called Conversations of Race and Allyship in the Workplace. And I've been Doing this course at a bunch of different companies. I've I've done some some courses at Instagram, at Facebook, um, at Asana, a uh, bunch of companies over here in the Bay. And you know everybody's running around saying, uh, "I want to be an ally. How do I be a better ally?" And I tell people to stop being an ally. You can't just wake up in the morning and put a rainbow sticker on your shirt. I'm an ally today. You become an ally by taking some kind of action by doing something. So the question, the charge is, what are you going to do to ally for someone? How are you going to ally for someone today? So I turn allyship into a verb, uh, into, into action, not just being. You, you can't just be a nice person. You are a nice person because of the things that you do, the kind things that you do. So we kind of go into companies and I help them see you know, everybody did this uh, after everything happened with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor when they were killed. They put the black tile on their Instagram page. And I'm like, that's 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 fine for now, but that's not action. That's that's performative allyship, in, in my opinion. You know, so now that some some people who were not looking at this before, now that they are looking now, the question is, what are you going to do about it? Tell me the, the actions, the steps you're going to take. That's what allyship is. Allyship is action. Okay, so action. Turn it into a verb. Turn it into actual movement. Yes. And sustained movement, because I think that is a huge piece. Like what you said, 
Um, and I've challenged myself in this way too, because I've always, I've shared this before. I am the type of a person that I get inflamed by these situations, right? I'm upset. I'm mad. I'm angry, but I get to forget about it a lot sooner because of the way I look, because I don't have to, it doesn't confront me every single day. My intentions have been good all along, but that's not good enough. Intention is not going to get us anywhere. So do you have thoughts on like sustained action, being able to hold on to that a little longer for the people that aren't affected continually? Yeah, well, I I think the so yeah, there's there's sustained action, but I think one of the things that that some people aren't focusing on is what causes that sustained action to stop, and what causes that to stop is when we mess up and we get hurt. We're like, oh man, I kind of I kind of messed up, and I don't want to, I can't move. So, for example, um, say you're, you're working inside of a company, and one of your one of your female colleagues is continuing to get cut off by another dude in the in the room. Not only is she cut off, she sometimes has her ideas stolen. An ally would stand up and say, hey, uh, hey, John, you keep cutting Susan off. I want to hear the end of what she has to say. Uh, or that was Susan's idea, she said five minutes ago, so I want to make sure we give credit, right? So great, feels awesome to do that until Susan comes up to you later and says, hey, Brooks, I don't need you to stand up for me in meetings. I can take care of myself. That hurts. That's a that's a little burn right there. So we stop. We we think that because it did not work one time, we're going to stop doing that that again because we're concerned about being embarrassed or messing up. So allyship is also about mess messing up because this is a, this is messy stuff. And when you do, because you will, everyone will. You uh, you you apologize if appropriate. You recalibrate your actions. And you you take action again uh, because that's what that's what's needed. So I think what I focus on is what are the things that stop us from uh, from that forward from that forward movement, and that's one of those things. That's so true, and I feel like it goes both ways too. For the people that say they want to help, but then they end up stopping because they've they've confirmed their own bias by saying, oh, well, this black person said, I don't have to do this and it doesn't bother them. And therefore blanket has been put on everybody because they just got confirmation that it's okay with this one person. That one person doesn't represent everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's about making those adjustments for the individual situations that were, that were in. So yeah, maybe, maybe in that meeting, in that sense, you won't do that again. Maybe that that person was was about to stand up for themselves. We don't we don't know, but that doesn't mean that we never take action again. Um, so, and that's and and the reason why we stop taking action is all about us. We're concerned about we're embarrassed. We feel bad that we got called out, so we stop taking action. And allyship, people who act as true allies, are not concerned about how they feel. They're concerned about how everyone else feels, especially the people who are from underrepresented groups. Okay. So going to that, because you work with a lot of uh, large companies to help them with some diversity training and probably the conversations. And of course, especially as an executive coach, you're dealing with people that are overseeing a diverse population. Um, So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen or run into some disappointing views and just like general ignorance when it comes to people in your personal life and in business, both, how do you remain level-headed in those situations? So when you run into someone that is just blatantly whatever word you want to insert there, how do you remain level-headed and reel it back into maybe a teaching moment? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting question you you bring up because that, that happens. uh, So I teach a class on managing unconscious bias. And it's for groups. So it's about 50 people at a time. Uh, it's a three hour class. I've done, I've done over a hundred of these. Um, and so I, yeah, there's been some of those moments that come up. And sometimes one time this, this one, we're talking about, uh, trauma as it relates to the Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter conversation. And the, the, the guy was like, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know what you're looking to get out of me, but I don't know what to say. And so in those moments, you can sense the defensiveness you can, or maybe some people try to challenge what you're saying. And what I focus on, it's not about like, I'm not here to win. I'm actually not here to convince anybody of anything. 
Uh, that's the, the the core philosophy behind my practice is what would the world be like if we stopped trying to convince anybody of anything? So instead of trying to change someone's mind, which ain't going to happen, you offer a perspective, you hear what they have to say, and then you you move on. And my intention, my hope is that his perspectives are widened when he leaves the class. But if I try to change him in front of other people, ain't gonna ain't gonna happen. It's like it's like you're like somebody's got like a like a a, a racist uncle or aunt at the Thanksgiving dinner table saying some crazy stuff. I don't know if you can curse here, so I must said something else. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay, good, good. Uh, and uh, you know, people show up looking for that. They're like, you know, they want to bring a YouTube video or an article. I'm like, you think your aunt's gonna? Say, you know what, Heather? I I've been wrong my whole life. You have just changed my mind because of the video you just showed me. And you know what? I'm going to stop thinking like that. It ain't going to happen because there's ego behind this. So even if you change their mind, it's not going to, to come out in that moment. So we look for offering perspectives and we focus on on the group instead of the individual. It's so true, too, because I feel like if, if we can do any sort of self-reflection or, or anyone that's listening can... We have definitely had those moments. Yeah. It's kind of like it's it's that overarching example of like when you're trying to have a conversation and someone tells you you need to calm down. Mm-hmm. It's like instantly now I'm pissed. I wasn't before, but now I'm pissed. Yeah. So it's like there and there's no need of it. Yeah. Right. But it's like if they wanted to get to you, that's the worst way to do it. Yeah is to try to push. I have that problem though, because I do, like sometimes I just want to shake people. You know how many times I've heard, and I'm sure you have examples yourself, I've heard stories about someone saying something directly to a person of color. Actually, I talked to a girl um, who's, uh, she's from South Africa recently. She's not black though, she's brown. Mm -hmm. So for people to say, oh, well, is that really where you're from? You know what I mean? It's like you're questioning someone's authenticity because they don't fit your narrative. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that I've heard people say to others, I'm like, oh my God, what did you say back? Like, did you slap them? And most of the time, what I'm being told is that there's such a shock factor yes. that like they don't say anything in the moment. They don't, it's not, they're not sticking up for themselves because they're embarrassed or that they don't know how to stick up for themselves. But it's like, such a shock factor. Oh, absolutely, and, it, and it's a it's a hard thing for for people to do. And, and listen, I, I'm, you know, this is what I, I I'm a, this is my mission. This is my purpose in life to have uncomfortable conversations in front of other in front of large groups of people. I don't know why I have chosen to do that, but that's that's what I'm that's what I'm about. So I I have to. I, I seek I seek that out so I can handle those moments when those come up. But this doesn't make me better or worse than anybody else. This is just I, I show up as a facilitator with that mindset. Now in my personal life, that's different, right? Sometimes people say some stuff, and you got you got to pause and you got to call them out. If my focus is to change the culture of an organization, I gotta I gotta build safety for everybody in that conversation because included in those conversations are people who don't agree are people that have never had, uh, they don't have any black friends are, are people that never lived in, in different areas. So I, I have to build safety for everybody. And it's, for me, it's easy. The, the, the easy answer, I think the solution is to remove yourself. And that's what I do when I facilitate. I take it. It's not. It's not about me. It's about the safety that I'm here. It's about the job I'm here to do, not about how I feel. So going going back to Brooks personally, what do you feel like caused you to have such a drive to literally put yourself in front of a moving freight train and be like, "I've got you guys. I've got you." Like I know you have a lot of stupid ideas in your head, and they're ignorant. And I'm gonna help you. <laughs> like what? <laughs> what? I don't know. Maybe that's the the wrong example. No, no. I think that's a good example. I think that's a good example. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I just. Uh, I, I. I. I found. I found my calling. I mean, listen. Everybody's got. Everybody's got a superpower, and everyone's got some some weaknesses, right? And I. I. I will own my strengths as much as I will own my weaknesses. And and one of the things that that I. 
that I was blessed with is the ability to listen. And uh, I didn't I didn't think that that listening could be a profession uh, until three years ago. And this is what I do. I, I listen and I reflect. I reflect back what I see. I reflect back what I hear. I show people things that they've oftentimes missed. And I keep the mirror off. It's not about me. It's about the person in, in the group. Um, so uh, it's it's not something I really, I really, I don't, I don't think of it in terms of, of a freight train for me. I think of it as this is what I was, I was born to do. And I also think about the times when I was in executive protection and not, not knocking the industry. I loved what I did before, but I never felt that that was me. And once you find your thing, whatever your thing is, uh, if you embrace it, if you own it, I mean, there's, there's so much freedom in that. And, and that's why I live my life for, for freedom and, and fulfillment. I don't live my life for happiness. I live my life for fulfillment and I'm fulfilled even in those tough moments. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. You don't live your life for happiness. You live it for fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. Happiness. That's actually pretty deep. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Happiness is like, it, it, it comes and goes, right? It, it, it doesn't, and anything that comes and goes doesn't really matter. But fulfillment can can stick with you. You can be, I, I love my job. I love going into these companies and working with, with executive leadership teams who, who aren't getting along and battling. Um, and there's some hard moments where I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm teaching a bunch of classes or, or I mean, it's not all filled with fun running your own business. And for those of you who are listening, who are entrepreneurs, they'll they'll tell everybody it ain't easy. But if you love what you do and there's purpose in it, that's fulfillment. You can still be unhappy and be fulfilled, but you can't be if, you, if you're living, in my opinion, if you're living only for happiness, you're actually, it's impossible because you, you can't find it. There isn't, there isn't a place to get to where like I, happiness got it done, you know, but fulfillment, you can live in that. Yeah. Okay. I like it. All right. Are you ready for a possibly unfair, ignorant question? No, please, please. Okay. All right. So you wrote an op-ed. Uh, for Reader's Digest. Yes. Um, and they titled it, um, was it, I can't, re- can't remember who your first black teacher was. Here what, here's why that's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the article, and everybody go find this, but in the article, um, you discuss the importance of black leadership, black representation. And of course, this was talking about a teacher, but it can be spoken for all areas of any sort of authority right? It's it's really important. I completely agree with this. This is where the ignorant question comes in. Because I've heard this on not just teachers, but in they talk about it in film, they talk about it in writing, everything. Mm -hmm. How do we get more black people, more people of color, well, specifically black people in this in this question into those fields? When, because I think in your article you referenced, is it seven? Was it seven percent? Seven percent of teachers. Okay, mm-hmm. so how can we fill, or we how can we increase that statistic if the overall population is only about thirteen percent black? Yeah, yeah. So the the solution to to all of that is is in a bunch of things. It's in it's in allyship. It's in mentorship. It's in advocacy. It's in sponsorship. Those are kind of different categories. So uh, a question I oftentimes ask uh, executives, uh, and, I, and I love asking this in one-on-one coaching because we can kind of get a little bit deeper on it. They, they, they feel that they're allies. And I'm, okay, who's the, the, think of the last five people you've, you've sponsored or mentored. Do you, ever, do you ever do that? Yeah, I, I sponsor, I mentor people all the time. What do they look like? So if, we, if you're only offering your mentorship to people who look like you, or people who all look the same, um, you're, there's there's a there's a demographic of people that are missing out on on the, the the knowledge that you've gained over the course of your career. So one way we can do this is through mentorship, um, being purposeful and intentional with with who we're deciding to to give our our time and our expertise to. Um, another thing another thing we can do is is continue to probably do, do a better job at encouraging uh, encouraging people, supporting people who are going through the education system. Uh, there's, there's, there's so much bias in so many different areas of life. And if we're not aware of how our biases are 
affecting the, the things that we're saying to people, it's going to turn people off to certain positions because that's what's been fed to them. You know, um, if you think of, uh, you know, I, I use this example when I teach, uh, you know, kids on a playground, a bunch of fifth grade kids, 10 years old, little Johnny comes outside for a break and he's like, hey, let's play baseball. I'll be first base. How do you be second base? Kim, you be third base. Everyone ready to go. We say, Johnny, you're going to be a great leader one day. So now Johnny is reinforced to go into leadership positions because that's what has been given to him. Same situation, Susan. Little Susie goes outside for lunchtime. Everyone, let's play baseball. I'll be first base, second base. What do we say to Susie? Susie, you're being a little bossy right now. Got to let everyone pick where they want to go. Don't be so bossy. And now Susie continues to have that message reinforced and then doesn't seek out these positions of authority because of the negative messages that we have been giving her her whole life. So how do we fix this? The people are there. It's, it's what we're doing to the, to the people from the time that they're young as they're growing up. And that's what the problem is. I feel that I'm type A. So I'm like the girl that like my entire life. And I always like, I, I said it too strongly. I was being mean. I'm like, no, but I was really just talking. I was really just I'm, not, I'm just actually talking. You were really just saying the same thing that I would say, but right. they call so they 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 would call you aggressive for doing that. What's the what are the two words the two words that both start with the letter A that are used in a positive correlation to describe a man for doing the same thing that an aggressive woman is doing? Assertive. Assertive. There it is. There's, what's the other one? Uh, so, okay. Ambitious. Assertive. Ambitious. Okay. Assertive. Ambitious. Yeah. I was being a little bit too aggressive, but Brooks. He's, he's passionate. He's assertive. He's ambitious. I just need to take it down a notch. Yeah. My tone is too high, whatever yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you, you need that tone to establish yourself somewhere. And if we're constantly putting women and people of color down with those words like aggressive, that's what the problem is. The problem, the problem isn't that there's a, there's a smaller population. In fact, the, the, We've already started, I, I hope, most people have started, stopped using the minority word because the minorities, the minority pretty soon ain't going to be the minority, right? The, the minority is almost the majority very soon. So we we look at underrepresented. That's something that still fits. Um, so no, the, the, the people are there. It's, it's what we're it's what we're doing and what we're it's what we're doing and what we're not doing to support. Uh, people, uh, people of color who were trying to come up. So we had a um, recent conversation and this, not this specific topic, but along these lines came up of, it's not like the sixties are not that long ago. This is all very recent, first of all. And second of all, there's, there's this kind of what you're saying. There's like a generational trauma that's getting passed down. So this idea that, oh, well, it didn't happen to you, therefore you shouldn't be hurt by it, doesn't really work that way. Because if a grandparent and then a parent, like the actions get passed down, the fears and the behaviors get passed down. Um, And the other piece to the conversation was we were talking about Martin Luther King and like how some of us, we knew, I mean, we knew who he was, but how much actual education did we get like I am I am in New Hampshire now I grew up in New Hampshire I've lived in San Diego Minneapolis like big places mm-hmm. but growing up here this is probably one of the whitest states mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean we we had the like I think growing up there may have been I had one Korean in my class and then there may have been maybe a handful going through my entire and I never had a black teacher even when I went to college I didn't have a black teacher so the education piece is a huge piece that's missing. We're not yes. understanding it. We're not even, even like my friend Nina, who is one of the hosts on the show. She is, uh, she was first generation. Her parents are from Cameroon and she was born here. She was born in Iowa. Well, Iowa is also one of the whitest states. Yeah. So where she lives, even what she was saying is like, she didn't have that education. She's like, and everybody expects me to know it, but. Yeah, I didn't have the education. That's so true. In in so one, there's the education, but if the edu the, the second part is the awareness, and the reason why I wrote that op ed 
one of my former fifth grade students, she found a, she found a meme uh, on Facebook and she, and it said, do you remember your first black school teacher? And she tagged me and she said, Mr. Scott, Hello. you know, yes, her name's Brianna. I, 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 I'm really, it's cool. I'm, I'm friends with some of my students now from before. And I, and I, and I, and I loved, I love that. That just made me, I never thought about that question before. And then uh, the article starts out, there was a, there was a, a guy in my class that said that he, he runs recruiting and he says, I'm far less intimidated when I'm interviewing a black candidate for a high level position than I am with a white candidate. And I don't know what that means. And I feel bad saying it, but that's how I feel. What do you think? Now, this dude said that in front of a room of 50 people, all different people of color or not. And I thought it was pretty brave to say that. So I I thought of my, my student who tagged me in that meme and that guy who said that. And I'm like, oh, there's something here to explore. And that's why I wrote that, that op-ed. Yeah. Bias is so hard. It's yeah. so hard. But I think actually just literally just sparked in my head. But if we tie it back to your quote about you don't necessarily need to know where you're going to know where to go. I feel like that can kind of tie to bias a little bit because everyone's like, well, it's unconscious bias. So I don't know it. Yeah. But you do know that if you see a certain type of person and you get butterflies in your stomach or you move to a different area, you know that that's happening. So stop yourself and say, why? Yes. Like, why do I feel like this? For, for me, I'm actually, it's kind of funny. I'm the opposite. So um, white men make me nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. But um, it's funny because I have a dog. So I was out in the morning. Really early, probably like 5 36 in the morning. I was out with the dog, and there was a black guy walking up the sidewalk, and he switched sides, maybe because of the dog. I don't know, but I'm, like, I'm not scared of you. He's scared of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're, what you're speaking to is is exactly those things that is is bias. And what we can what we can do, we we can't go back and figure out the things that we were unconsciously that were unconsciously there. And I think when I hear those same comments in classes, hey, this is unconscious. What am I supposed to do? Well, it's not about what you were supposed to have done. It's about what you're going to do moving forward. So the next time you uh, you interview somebody who's a person of color and they show up with with uh, with a hairstyle that you're not used to seeing, and you think that this person's not un- this person's unprofessional, you can pause and ask yourself. Am I saying that or thinking that because of how they look? Or is there something specific I can point to that's showing and demonstrating that they're unprofessional? If I'm saying that somebody's not the right culture fit, you got a team of engineers of all dudes and one woman applies to your engineering team and you say, ah, she's not the right culture fit. What are you saying? So it's, it's, it's the questions that, that bring the unconscious bias into the conscious awareness and if you have conscious bias, that's a whole that's a whole other class. I don't know what to do if you're consciously <laughs> you're consciously taking actions with your bias, but not not you, but people and everyone. And everyone has bias. I, listen, I teach this stuff for a living, and I have biases. Everyone does. It ain't going to go away. But what we can do is ask ourselves those questions and check ourselves when those biases come up. Yeah, I think we all have these. And this is the whole point of asking yourself, like, why do I feel this way? Is because we all have these stories, and maybe we can even say they're unconscious stories, which leads to the whole bias, but they're stories that we've adopted over the years. And the only pieces that we pay attention to are the confirmation pieces. So if that, if that story is confirmed, then okay, we're, we're right. Mm. Like we feel like we got to keep the, we hold on to that tightly, right? Cause we're right. But there are examples where maybe we've been proven wrong, but that's just that's just a outlier, right? That's not the norm because our story is the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our story is the norm. I love it. You said that. Yeah. Our story based upon our experiences and our personal life is what is the norm for us. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So a big part of what you do is getting people kind of back to the place where they understand the connection and communication as being super fundamental and important. And in my opinion, those are obviously foundational. And if we can all grasp onto those things, 
I think it would really do a lot of good in wiping out a lot of the problems we have. Because if we can connect as humans and communicate about what's going on, that solves a lot of problems. So just when you're working with people and just in general, your opinion, like what would you say the biggest challenge is for getting people from different backgrounds to be able to authentically connect with each other? Yeah, that's a, a lot behind that. There's this, uh, that, that book, Crucial Conversations, the, the, one of the co-authors, his name is Joseph Grenny. And he says in the book, um, people don't get defensive about what you say. They get defensive about why they think you're saying it. And I think one of the things we can do is explain explain the why behind the things that we're doing or the things that we're thinking. And I think that's one major thing we can do because if people understand why you're sharing this feedback or why you're bringing this up, we're, we're more apt to listen. Uh, we're more apt to listen to each other if we if we kind of if we kind of explain that um, and, uh, and 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 focusing more on listening. Uh, focusing more on perspectives, listening to other people's perspectives. Uh, and we oftentimes don't do that. We're, we're, everybody wants to throw out that really witty one-liner on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram and shut the conversation down. Uh, and I just, like, we're not going to be able to connect that way. So instead of, instead of shutting people down with what you say, I, I, I think that we can learn how to open people up by with with what you ask so curating better questions yes absolutely it's it's the question it's the questions that change relationships not the not the statements not the answers it's the questions that are that that are that are so key in in business in tech in in relationships uh with the people who we're in relationships with or our family or spouses whatever it is it's the it's understanding questions and asking the right questions um, is what, what changes and builds connection and trust. I think it is such a huge thing that like the ego piece of n- not necessarily needing to be right, because I don't know if it's always needing to be right, but there's a lot of damage to be. I mean, screw it. Maybe we're all damaged people walking around out here. You know what I mean? Everywhere we are. We all have trauma. So it's it's almost like trying to win ourselves. In terms of like, if someone thinks differently than you, then that's somehow an attack on you. But it's not. It's just their opinion that's just different than yours. Um, So curiosity, genuine curiosity. I heard someone say a long time ago, I don't remember who it was, but they said, it's really hard to hate somebody if you know their story. Yeah. And it's so true because it, it, I went through a phase a long time ago. Okay, I might I might cut this out afterwards. But <laughs> where I was reading a lot of serial killer books. Do I want to be a serial killer? No. Do I want to date one? No. But I just for me the mental ability to just shut off your humanity, I was just like what what is that? Mm-hmm. And you would start, you know, some of them you would start reading and if there was a backstory, it's like you catch yourself feeling bad for these people. Yeah. And I don't know, is that, is it not that I feel like super bad for them, but yeah, I, I think it's just so true. It hit me. I, I agree. It, it, it isn't. It, and it's, it's, it's also hard to hate somebody who's doing something kind for you. Um, and if we can find a way to still step into situations with kindness, um, maybe even sometimes when kindness isn't deserved, I'm not saying all the time, but is are there some opportunities for us to show kindness? That's how that's how we can we can come and, and connect. Explaining our intentions, explaining the why behind it, showing up with kindness, showing up with empathy. Uh, stop trying to win all the time. Um, you know, I told you I, I'm comfortable with my strengths. I'm comfortable with my flaw. One of my flaws, I, I I cannot stand when I'm not being when I'm not being heard. Like, I don't care about winning or losing in an argument, but if you don't let me speak and, and tell you how I feel, that drives me nuts. So I, I feel like um, we can, if, if, we, if we stop trying to win arguments and instead we focus on making sure that we're both heard and making sure that we're both understood, that's a win. And the goal should not be to get you to come over to my side or me to come over to your side. I think the goal is for us to be heard and understood. And if we focus on that, I think that that's the kind of stuff that can change relationships. 
I agree. So you are, let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing because you do, so it's merging path coaching, right? Yeah. But it's, it's kind of a, a big umbrella, right? That term is an un- big umbrella because you're doing executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing hard conversations. I'm sorry, say that again. I don't remember what it's Difficult conversations, hard conversations. Oh, okay, so I thought there was like a specific name to it. Um, you're doing unconscious bias training. Mm-hmm. You're working with groups, uh, large companies for like diversity and inclusion training. Yeah. So, I mean, all these things really work together, but they're all separate. So tell us a little bit about that journey and like what you think or what you would like to see in the next five to 10 years come from it. Yeah. Oh, so many things I want to see come from it. Uh, one, one thing I think about, I love seeing on LinkedIn, all uh, a lot of people of color getting diversity and inclusion jobs and chief diversity officer. Love it. And black people can do more than, than be your chief global diversity officer too. Black people can be your CFO. They can be your head of sales. They can be, your, your engineering leader, your CTO, they can be your CEO. As a Fortune 500 companies, there's 40 women. There's four Black people. There's zero Black women. So when we look at those statistics, zero Black women out of the Fortune 500 companies, we, 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 we have to pause and like, how does that, hap- how does that happen? So you mean at executive levels? Yeah, yeah, for for, uh, for CEOs who are running Fortune 500 companies. Okay. Yeah. Um so when 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 I see that I think what do we need to do to what do we need to, to do to to address that and fix that and I think that's the vision that I want to get to having tough conversations, learning how to spot bias, having people mentor other people that don't look like them. Um sponsoring people by talking about them when they're not in the room. You know, you're we're on a team and you're not there and someone's looking like, hey, I, uh, I don't know if you ever met Heather before, but she is great at these things. And I think we should give her a chance to do this position. And maybe I tell you I said that. Maybe I t- maybe I don't tell you. But those are those those backroom conversations uh, that need to be had. That's what my mission is. So that's what I want to see. OK, more conversations. Yeah. yeah. More conversations. More conversations will lead to more representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So we're talking about corporations. How can we, I saw something on your page about um, addressing racial issues at work. And it's one of your suggestions. Um, I think it's actually the first one is to address it based on topical situations or current events. Mm-hmm. Talk, like don't try to go all the way back in history and like start with slavery. Cause that's, that's, too much right away. You know, if you're trying to start the conversation, start it with something that's happening right now. Like, how is this affecting you? Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about how we can do that as individuals better? Yeah, a, a couple of things with that. And maybe I'll start with one thing that we shouldn't do in business. We we shouldn't go into a meeting and uh, where there's only two people of color out of 30 people on a team and say, I want to open it up. I want to open up the floor for discussion. Who wants to talk about everything that happened with the with uh, with whatever whatever happens to be racially that's happening in our country? Because everybody's going to turn and look, either physically look or you'll feel it at the two people of color waiting to hear what they're going to say for a number of reasons. Maybe they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want to for whatever it is. So some things that we should not do is open up the floor to discussion without establishing some some guidelines that we can all agree on on how we're going to talk to each other. Um, I think that we should stop thinking that politics and work are separate because they're not. Politics and work is the reason why we have protected classes. It's the reason why you can't you can't uh, you can't decide to not hire me because I'm black. Uh, politics and work is the reason why uh, we give we, we should be giving equal opportunity to, to, to women, uh, women who have kids. That's political. There's laws behind that. There's policies that have been established to stop those things from happening. So politics and work are connected. And 
if we keep fooling ourselves that they're not, we're, we're, we're ignoring some things that, that we need, we need to talk about. So, um, and I think that my favorite coaching question of all time, and if there's any coaches out there listening, feel free to steal this. You can use this all the time. Use this. This stops people dead in their tracks. What are the things we're pretending to not notice about the situation that we're in? Cause there's a whole bunch of stuff there that, needs to be said or talked about, but we're acting like it's not there, but it's there. So if we learn how to talk about those things, we can talk about, we can talk about anything. And those are the things that companies need to talk about. We need to talk about, you. yeah, you want to put a black towel on your Instagram page. Thank you. Why is your entire board of directors all white men? What about your executive leadership team? What, what are you going to do about that? That's action, right? So, but no one, no one really wants to say that. I mean, I would say no one, but some people that need to say that are not saying, and that's what we need. You are coming to us uh, during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we really wanted to highlight you is because you are, what the work you are doing is very intentionally and successfully, I'm sure. You can't change everybody's mind, but you're changing enough minds, pushing us in a positive direction. You are breaking the stereotype that so many people have, and it is so necessary and so important and so needed. So first of all, thank you. Uh, thank you for, for saying that. That, mean, that means the world to me. It really does. Thank you for that. To close it out here, what is the one thing that you wish more people understood about your experience as a Black man? Ah, wow. That's a good, that's a good closer right there. One, I think it, it kind of connects back to something that I, that I was saying earlier today where, um, you know, black people, people of color can do all kinds of things. Uh, not, not only your diversity officer, not only, you know, when, when everything happened, when, when George Floyd was killed, all these companies were struggling with putting out communication statements. And one of my clients, uh, who's a black woman at this tech company, the executive leadership team pulled her into the executive team meetings to help her, to help them uh, curate the message that they were going to write. And she, she knocked it out the park. And when everything uh, was, was when other things were beginning to be more focused on, she, like she was, she was knocking some communications people out the water with it, with her stuff. So that kind of shows, why don't you bring her back in for some other stuff? She can, she can provide more context other than just your, your company's statement about George Floyd. She can also help you with your communications and marketing in general. So I think as this relates to me, you know, I, I, am, a, I am a communications, I'm a communications executive coach first. And I want to be, I, I want to be known for that. And I don't want to, and I don't want to be only known for what I can do in diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion is a passion. It's important. It is a part of me, but it is not all of me. And I, and I think as we're seeing more and more highlights of people of color in positions of authority and expertise, let's remember that uh, people of color can do all kinds of things um, in your business and for your community that benefits people of color and, and, and white people as well. I, I would say that uh, if, if, you know, I, I, I want everybody to, who finds their passion to be able to be recognized for that passion and not for what society and the world thinks that you're supposed to be doing. You know, there, there's some there, there's one of my clients is a, is a, is a CFO, is a, a, a black guy, been a CFO for years, and it's hard for him to get a job as a CFO as a black man. But if he was applying for a job in diversity, he'd probably have an easier time. Why is it? This is his passion. He can do more than, than these things. So I want, I want us to get to the point where people can be recognized for, for all of, all of their, their, their full selves and not just what society is telling us that we, that we should be doing. Long overdue. Yeah. Um, so what, what can we take? What, what can we do? Um, the listeners of the show, black, white, brown, yellow, the ones that look like me specifically, what can we do to acknowledge that? Is there, um, articles or books that you would recommend that are really enlightening? Are there things that we can try to work into our language that 
not only our language outwardly, but internally, that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things. Uh, one, one, one great book, uh, it, it's, it's Diversity in the Workplace. It's written by Bari A. Williams. Um, she's, a, she's an attorney. She's worked in tech for years. Awesome book about different situations and scenarios that have come up in the workplace. I recommend that. Um, things we can do internal internally for ourselves, we can start to ask, we can pause and ask those questions. Am I making a decision based upon my, my biases? Am I making a decision that's going to affect another person in a negative way based upon our biases? I think that's really important. And I think don't just check in on your people of color when there's racial tension going on in the country. And I love that this is happening. Everybody's reaching out and that this is awesome. But I think people should have, and I hope people in the future will check in on your, on your, on your people, on your team of color when everything's going fine in the world too. Hey, what's it, what's it like, what's it been like for you to be working in tech for 20 years as, as a black person or person of color? What's it like for you to be working as an engineer, as a woman? There's so many things we can do to check in with, with people. Um, and and I, I think if we do those things, uh, we start to heal. You're a whole person, 365 days of the year, not just the days that things blow up. Yeah, there it is. Love it. Uh, do you want to tell the audience where they can connect with you and learn more? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can hit me up on, on Instagram, uh, Brooks E. Scott. And I do a lot of a lot of work and posts on, on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the most active on LinkedIn uh, and Brooks E. Scott. Uh, over on LinkedIn as well. And then mergingpath.com is, is, uh, is the company. And uh, if anyone has any questions, yeah, feel free to hit me up. I love, love talking to people and, and answering quick little questions. It's always, uh, always fun to do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Brooks was dropping some serious knowledge. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply, and we hope today's conversation did just that. This week's call to action is to check out the book Diversity in the Workplace by Bari A. Williams. Bari is B-A-R-I. Connect with Brooks on Instagram or LinkedIn, Brooks E. Scott. We'll link that in the show notes. And as always, check your bias. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed on today's episode are our own. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own fact-based conclusions. If you have a topic you would like us to discuss, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out by email, info at diversityonfire.com, or leave us a voice note. The link for that can be found in the show notes. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. If you're enjoying this show, we would very much appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. One last thing, please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. We're acting like it's not there, but it's there.